You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This morning we're going to finish what we started last week, finish looking at the sixth day of creation as we look again at verses 23 through 31 together. Let's begin our time together by reading our passage, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 23. Hear now the words of the only true and living God. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May he bless the hearing of it and cause it to bear the fruit of salvation and sanctification among us this morning as he accomplishes his purposes in sending it forth. You may be seated. This morning we are going to focus our attention on the latter half of our passage as we pick up where we left off last week and finish looking at the sixth day of creation. Last week, we focused on the image of God, and this week, we are going to focus on what God gives to his image bearers, namely blessing and dominion. So this morning, we're going to work our way through the rest of the sixth day of creation in three points. Our first point will be blessing and dominion where we will look again at verses 26 through 28. And whereas last week we focused on man being made in God's image, this week we're going to focus on him having dominion over creation. And our second point, provision, we'll look at verses 29 to 30 and see the provision 
the daily bread that God graciously provides for his image bearers as they go about filling the earth and subduing its creatures. And our third and final point this morning, very good, where we will very briefly finish looking at this sixth and final day of creation by seeing God's pronouncement concerning the completion of his work of creating in verse 31. Well, before we begin undertaking this task, let us go to the Lord in prayer together, asking for his help. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, We come to you this morning, as we just sang, lifting up our eyes in hopeful expectation because we know that you are the giver of life. You have the words of eternal life. And so, Father, we do lift up the lost among us, our own children who you have yet to save, any guests and visitors among us that or in rebellion against you and refuse to repent of their sins, we ask that as the giver of life, that as you send forth your word and accomplish your purposes and sending it forth this morning, that you would do so by mercifully and graciously giving them the gifts of repentance and faith. And Father, you have instructed us in your word that it is not just a means of granting eternal life, but it is a means of sanctifying your people, of conforming us to the image of our King, of causing us to be renewed in the whole man, body and soul, being enabled to die to the sins that so easily beset us, the remaining corruptions of our flesh, and living to righteousness, loving your word and your law and your commands and longing to please you as faithful sons and daughters. Father, we plead with you to do your work through your word and spirit among us this morning. Father, we do ask for these things but we do not ask them just for ourselves. We ask them for our brothers and our sisters who are gathered in many different places this morning. This morning, we specifically lift up Grace Bible Church in San Diego, California, in Tuckerdale Baptist Church in Lansing. Father, we ask that you would graciously do these things among them as well that you would be pleased to use them to glorify yourself in this world. And Father, that we at the Gathering Church could be a, a help and an assistance and an, an encouragement to them. Help us to love not just our gathering, to also love that you gather our brothers and sisters in many places. Lord Jesus, as you, our King, go about building your church throughout the world. 
I'm thinking of the world, Father. We think of our persecuted brethren and other places. This morning, we lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters in Ethiopia. We ask that you would help them, that you would protect them, that you would give them the grace that they need, that you would give them the wisdom and discernment that they need to be bold in proclaiming your gospel and joyful in receiving the persecution that your son's name brings. Father, we ask that you would sustain them, that you would providentially guide their actions, their steps, their words, that your gospel would go forth and the light of it would conquer the darkness that remains in Ethiopia. Father, as we think about our brothers and sisters in many different places in the world, now we ask that you would help us, because in your kind providences, you have placed us in this time and in this place this morning. Lord Jesus, you have gathered us here together as your people, to worship you, to hear you speak to us through your word, to have you sanctify us, that we might be pleasing to you, and that we might exercise your dominion by being salt and light in this fallen world. Help us now, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. In a magazine of the U.S. Naval Institute, a man named Frank Koch tells the true story of two battleships that had been at sea for several days on maneuvers. Now, what provided the stage and the circumstances for this story to play out was that these two battleships were performing their maneuvers in unusually bad weather. Mr. Koch was serving on the lead battleship during these maneuvers, and he was on the bridge with the captain during one particular night when dense fog had rolled in and made their visibility next to nothing. And here's how Mr. Koch recalls that night on the bridge of the battleship with the captain. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of our battleship reported to the captain there's a light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain replied, Is it steady or is it moving astern? The lookout replied, It's steady, captain. Now what this meant was that these two ships were on a dangerous collision course. And so the captain immediately called to his signalman and told him, Signal that ship and tell them, We are on a collision course. I advise you to change your course 20 degrees. The signalman sent the captain's message and almost immediately got the response, I advise you to change your course 20 degrees. The captain said to his signalman, send back, I'm a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. The signalman sent it 
and after getting the response, gave it to the captain. I'm a seaman second class. You had better change your course, 20 degrees. Now, by this time, as you can imagine, the battleship captain, who was used to getting his way, was furious, and so he yelled to his signalman, Send! I'm a battleship! Change your course! 20 degrees! The message came back from the seaman second class. I'm not a ship. I'm a lighthouse. Mr. Coke ends his story with a simple statement. We changed our course 20 degrees. Well, this morning, as we finish looking at the sixth day of creation, we are going to see that God has created and formed reality such that mankind has dominion over the earth and over every living thing on it. And not only this, but reality consists of mankind having a responsibility, a responsibility to fill the earth with holy image bearers that rule over God's creation in wisdom and in kindness. Brothers and sisters, this is reality. This is like the lighthouse in our story. The reality that God has created things in this way is not going to change any more than that lighthouse was going to move. And so as we look at our passage this morning, the question is not whether, but which. It's not whether mankind is going to fill the earth. It's not whether mankind is going to exercise dominion over it. But because of the fall of mankind into sin and misery, the question is which kind of humanity is going to fill the earth and what kind of dominion is going to be exercised and how is that going to be accomplished. On the one hand, you have the new humanity, the church, the bride and helpmate of Christ, and as the bride and helpmate of the second Adam, we are to seek to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with holy image bearers. And we have been, at, we have been tasked with doing this in a very particular and in a very peculiar way, and that is through the proclamation of of the gospel. And so as the gospel goes forth and our husband produces spiritual offspring through his word and spirit, those he saves are to be nurtured and cared for by his bride. And we do so by baptizing them, by teaching them to obey all that he has commanded them, by feeding them from his word and from his table. And then they, in turn, go out and live in the world in the spheres of influence as salt and light representatives and ambassadors for their king. And they seek to exercise a wise and benevolent dominion over those things which their king gives them responsibility for and influence over. So this is the labor of the church the bride of Christ, filling the earth and exercising dominion, not through carnal weapons of warfare, not through the government of nations, but through the preaching and teaching of the gospel, through the planting of churches, through discipling those spiritual offspring that our king produces. And we do this with confidence that our husband is going to build his church 
and that nothing in all of creation is going to stop him because not only is he our husband, but he is also the king. And all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So there's the church seeking dominion in this way. And then, on the other hand, there's fallen humanity. Those who have Satan as their father, their king, the seed of the serpent. And this fallen humanity is seeking to create an alternative reality. And we can see it all around us, everywhere we look. They are seeking many schemes, many devices as they rage and plot against God and his anointed one and his created order. And whereas we have one plan for dominion given to us by our Creator, they have many, many schemes, many devices. They scheme to either have false gods rule and bring submission through culture and government like in Islam, or as the scheme is in the West, where there is no God at all, and so mankind becomes God and seeks to create his own rule and dominion according to his own autonomous definitions of wisdom and benevolence. And men and women seek to bring about dominion through the vain philosophy that says, Vox Populi, Vox Dei. The voice of the people is the voice of God. And so, beloved, what I want you to see as we finish going through the sixth day this morning is that because of the fall of mankind into sin and misery that we will get to when we get to Genesis chapter 3, there are competing realities, competing views of what the world should be and what it actually is. As we will see when we get to Genesis 3.15, since the fall of mankind into sin and misery, there has always been, and until Christ returns, there will always be enmity, Strife, conflict between the offspring of the serpent as their king seeks his dominion. There will always be conflict between his seed and the offspring of Christ, promised offspring of the woman. And these competing realities cannot and will not coexist forever. Right now, in our generation, As we look out at the world around us, it seems as though fallen humanity, the seed of the serpent, is winning in the world. It seems like they have dominion. And here we are just fighting for the scraps. But beloved, as our husband has promised to build his church, we know that one day as we labor for the true reality of Jesus Christ as creator and redeemer, we know that he's coming back. And what we see happening in the world now, what we see now is the powerful battleship, the SS secularism, in their blindness and in the fog of sin, calling out to the church, demanding, I'm a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. And beloved, when the world, with all of its power and all of its might, calls out to us in this way, we simply need to respond, We're a lighthouse. We are a lighthouse. We are built on a rock. We are built on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And so we call out to the world, repent and believe. Because if you continue in your course, you will be dashed to pieces 
on this rock. Well, let's continue looking at these things this morning in our first point, blessing and dominion. So looking at our passage, we can see in verse 28 that as God blessed the sea creatures and the birds on day five, he now blesses mankind on the sixth day. But we can also see in verse 28 that God gives his image bearers a unique and an additional blessing that the other creatures did not receive. Namely, he gives them dominion over all the earth and over all its creatures. And so with this dominion, mankind is to image God such that just as God brought about order and harmony out of formlessness and void as we looked at days 4, 1 through 4, and we saw him do this through his word and spirit, so too we his image bearers, and so too back then before the fall, Adam and Eve were to form and cultivate and subdue and fill the earth. And just as God brought about order and harmony by his word, mankind was to exercise the dominion given to them by obedience to God's word. Specifically, his word in verse 28, being fruitful and multiplying. And by his word that we'll see in Genesis 2, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we can see right here what we've already talked about, because God is the creator, because he is the only true and living God, because he has formed reality and he has put specific order into it and put specific limitations on it, because this is the case, harmony, order, peace can only be found by living in obedience to his word. God blesses people who live in his world, his way. And all other ways are in rebellion to God and will, will inevitably end in pain, sorrow, and in destruction. G.K. Chesterton once famously said, the problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found wanting, but that it has been found difficult and left untried. Beloved, we cannot afford to hear these things about blessing, about dominion with a pie-in-the-sky attitude about them, and think that if we live according to God's Word, just so that everything is going to work out just right in our lives. We cannot make the mistake of believing that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. No, beloved, because of the fall of mankind into sin and misery, we labor in this fallen world. And though we have been promised that godliness has value for this life, while that is true, we must realize with eyes wide open that while we are seeking to be fruitful and multiply and produce spiritual offspring, while we are seeking to exercise the dominion of our husband and king, Jesus Christ, because we live in a fallen world, we have been promised persecutions, difficulties, trials, toil. Beloved, we must follow Christ and realize that we are not better than our teacher or Lord. We, like him, must enter glory by way of the cross. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 1, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer 
for his sake. Now look back at verse 26. And giving men and women dominion over the five things mentioned here in verse 26, God delegates his divine rule over the earth and its creatures to his image bearers. And a couple of things are true here. First of all, the fact that God has given mankind dominion over the earth shows that we are responsible. We are responsible for exercising a benevolent dominion over the earth and over its creatures, and we will be held accountable for doing so. We have been told not only here in Genesis, but also the psalmist reflects these realities when he says in Psalm 115, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. So taking a moment to speak about the exercise of dominion on the earth and its creatures, I want to say two quick things in terms of what we see in our passage. The earth, or what we might call the environment, and its creatures, or what we might say, animals. When we think about cultivating and subduing the earth and using the resources God has given to us in it, because of things like the Green New Deal in our culture or environmental activists of our day, we can tend to swing from that end of the, of the pendulum to the complete opposite as though how we manage and govern the environment and its resources is of no consequence to us. Beloved, we as the new humanity must not fall into an overreaction against those who say that mankind is a blight on the earth and that we must therefore reduce the human population. Obviously, this is wrong. If you've been paying attention at all, as we've been going through Genesis 1, you should understand by now that the earth and all its fullness and all of creation was made to serve mankind. It is ours. So while the climate activist is wrong, we ought not to overreact to that and think that because we have dominion, we can be wasteful of the resources that God has given us to steward, as though we can just waste, have no thought, no intentionality concerning it, and we can do so with impunity. This is not so, beloved, because with dominion comes responsibility. Now, in terms of the animals of the earth, the same principle applies. We cannot fall into an overreaction against PETA and think that we can abuse animals, except maybe cats, because they're of the devil. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If you know me, you know why that's funny. But I'm, it's just a joke, honestly. No, we cannot abuse animals. We've been, been given dominion over them. And so let's hit a little closer to home for us here in the mountains. We must not think, for example, that it's not an abuse of our dominion and therefore sinful to do something like go out, shoot a big buck, cut off its head, and just leave its body to waste and rot in the woods. That deer was given to us, mankind. 
but it was given to mankind in order that we would exercise a benevolent dominion over it. And since the flood, it has been given to us as a source of food, if we so choose. So there's nothing wrong with taking and eating. But we cannot think that we can take that privilege and responsibility of our dominion and abuse it for fun, for the thrill of the hunt, and think that we won't be held accountable just because we call it a sport. No, beloved, we have responsibility with our dominion to use the resources that God has given to us. And I offer those two examples particularly because they are examples that mirror what we see God giving mankind dominion over in verse 26 and 28 of our passage today. And all of this was to work itself out in a particular way before the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. But as we think about it today, on this side of the fall of mankind and sin and misery, as we think about it as the church, as the bride and helpmate of the second Adam, how are we to exercise the benevolent dominion of our king in the earth? The first thing that we want to say here is that his dominion extends to all things in heaven and on earth. And we know this from the introduction to the Great Commission he gives us in Matthew 28 when he tells us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him such that there is nothing, no grain of sand, no drop of water in the ocean. As R.C. Sproul used to be fond of saying, no molecule in all creation. No king, no queen, no president, no senator, no governor, no country, no citizen that does not have the obligation to bow its knee and confess Christ as Lord. As the author of Hebrews says in chapter 2, in putting everything in subjection to Christ, God left nothing outside of his control. With that being said, We must also recognize that in that same passage, the author to the Hebrews goes on to say, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Christ. And there's nothing more obvious to us Christians than the fact that not everything in this world is in subjection to Christ. But we know on the authority of God's word that one day it will be. All things in heaven, all things on earth will be united in Christ and all of his enemies will be put under his feet. But our job as our king's bride, as our king's helpmate, is not to seek to put governments, to put citizens under the feet of Jesus by taking dominion and making sure they enact Mosaic judicial laws, The dominion of our king and husband has given us is not brought about by legislation. The dominion he has given to us is brought about by the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. And the good news is that when the church, the bride and helpmate of Christ, focuses on its task of preaching and teaching the gospel and then discipling those that our king chooses to save, when we focus on that, then those he saves go out and live in the world as Christians seeking to be salt 
and light. And if some of them get elected to positions of government, then they can seek to govern in a way that honors their king. But that is the labor of the individual Christian. Going out, being salt and light in the areas of influence that their king gives them, and it is dependent upon their king giving them those areas of influence. That is not the job of the local church. We seek the dominion that Adam and Eve were supposed to seek. We seek the multiplication of holy image bearers throughout the world until the glory of God fills the earth as the waters do the seas. And so we are seeking spiritual offspring. We do this through the raising of our children, as our King has commanded us in the Lord's disciplines and instructions, urging the gospel on them. And because spiritual offspring does not depend on or require the will of the flesh or the relationship between an earthly husband and wife, for those of us who are single or married Christians who cannot have children, you can be just as fruitful in this regard as any married couple because you can seek spiritual offspring through the preaching and teaching of the gospel and evangelistic efforts. And as Christ our husband produces the spiritual offspring through his word and spirit, as he grants repentance and faith, we in turn, as his helpmate, his bride, we in turn baptize and disciple those spiritual children to maturity so that they can be salt and light and ambassadors of their king as they live their lives in this world. One way of saying this is that the dominion we seek cannot be found by imposing Mosaic legislation on unbelieving people. The dominion we seek is dependent on Jesus Christ saving people and conforming them to his image by his word and spirit. And so to summarize, as we, as the new humanity, are exercising dominion and multiplying and filling the earth, we are doing this by the proclamation of the gospel. We are subduing the earth by exercising a benevolent dominion in the areas of influence our king has given to us. And the beauty of the gospel is that whether you are single or married, whether you are barren or have a quiver full, you can have as many children in the Lord as anyone through evangelism. Well, switching gears for a minute, there's at least two more lessons that we can learn from this passage and this aspect of blessing and dominion in our passage this morning. First, in giving mankind dominion over everything on earth, God has shown us from the very beginning that men and women are more important than animals. We are more important than animals. We are more important than the earth itself. Beloved, the earth is not our mother. God is our father, and he has instructed us that we are not merely animals that have reached a higher stage of evolution, but rather we are uniquely and specially made in his image. And we have been given dominion over the earth, over its vegetation, and over its creatures. Secondly, 
Because God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, we know that the way God intended for Adam and Eve to subdue the earth and exercise that dominion would be by having children and filling the earth. And through the blessings that come with with the marriage covenant, they were to extend the fellowship God had with his image bearers in the garden temple to the ends of the earth. What we see here in verse 28 is the fact that God, in making men and women in the way that he did and giving them the job that he gave them in doing this, God made men and women sexual creatures. And this is why human sexuality, far from being bad or taboo, is part of who we are. It's why men and women in every generation seek out each other's companionship and intimacy. And it is good that young men are attracted to young women. It is good that young women are attracted to young men. That is a good thing. But we know that because mankind fell at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin is why men and women in every generation seek this intimacy out, outside of God's mandated covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. But the fact that human sexuality has been perverted in these ways and abused, this fact doesn't make it bad. No, beloved, it is very good. But as with everything else in creation, God has ordered it. God has set boundaries around it, limitations upon it, and the fact that God has ordered it as a man and a woman in the covenant bond of marriage informs us that anything outside of that, whether fornication, adultery, heterosexual sins, or homosexual sins, these sexual sins are an attack on the created order. Homosexual more so because of reason of several aggravations, but still an attack on the created order and a violation of the third commandment. To not abuse anything whereby God makes himself known, which makes these sins an attack on our creator himself. Beloved, this isn't just wishful thinking. This is how our God created the heavens and the earth. This is the order he established here in the beginning. And so as we pull back from these details of our passage this morning, as we pull back for a moment, I want us to think back and remember the purpose that we've talked about a couple of times, the purpose of the book of Genesis. The whole reason this book exists is to inform these former slaves of Egypt what the God who delivered them has done and what he is going to do in the world. And so as Israel at Mount Sinai is hearing these things for the first time, as God is making them his covenant people at the foot of that mountain, most basically as they read and hear these things, they must discern, they must see how obedience to God's purposes equals stability and harmony, while disobedience equals formlessness and chaos. And beloved, this is the story 
of the early chapters of Genesis. As we will see as we continue moving through chapters 2 to 11, Adam was to obey and maintain the stability and harmony. And upon reading this, these Israelites, reading Genesis 1 through 9, were to observe and realize that when Adam sins, when he breaks that harmony and brings about disorder, the inevitable result was the flood that destroyed all human life. But they were to take another lesson from that as well. The the flood did destroy all human life except a remnant chosen by God to continue his redemptive purposes in the world. Likewise, God commanded mankind to fill the earth and subdue it. And so in Genesis chapter 11, when the people of earth refused to do so and instead decided to build the great city and tower of Babel and stay in one place and to make a name for themselves in direct contradiction to the given mandate of spreading God's name throughout the earth, when they did not obey God, the inevitable result was the confusion of languages, the separation, divisions between people that led to their being spread throughout the earth. And so Israel, too, reading and hearing these things, needed to realize that if they disobeyed their God, who had delivered them from Egypt, from the house of slavery, if they disobeyed their God, if they break His covenant, then they, too, will be removed, scattered, exiled from the promised land. And like Noah and his family in the flood, there would only be a remnant surviving in order to carry forth the redemptive purposes of God. And to apply this to us, brothers and sisters, finally, we must likewise realize that though Christ is always building his universal church throughout the world. Our king is always saving his sheep. He is always seeking and saving the lost. As he is doing this throughout the world, though that is true, if we, the gathering church, as a local manifestation of the larger universal church, if we are disobedient to God, then we too will be removed from the face of the earth. Where's the church of Ephesus? The church at Philippi. Where are these churches today? If we are disobedient to our king, then he will remove, he is free to remove individual churches from the face of the earth with only a remnant within them surviving in order to seek and save the lost and carry on the redemptive purposes of God. So as we finish up this first point this morning, brothers and sisters, like the first Adam and his helpmate before the fall, the second Adam has dominion. He has authority in heaven and on earth, and he is blessing, and he is multiplying us, his helpmate, and we are to labor to fill the earth in all the ways we have just briefly mentioned. Beloved, this is our labor of dominion. And we are dependent upon our king to grant blessing, to multiply us as we seek to do this. We are dependent 
as well on him providing what we need to accomplish this task. And this leads us into our second point today, provision. In verse 28, we see that the first words spoken by God to mankind are words of blessing. And if you look down in verse 29, we see that God follows those words of blessing with words of provision. In verse 29, God instructs Adam and Eve that as they go about subduing the earth and exercising dominion over it, God instructs them that he has provided the vegetation of day three for their food. And not only for them, but also for all the creatures that they will be ruling over. In the beginning, before the fall, God, by his authoritative word, commanded mankind to not take things that, as verse 30 says, have the breath of life and use them as sources for food. God essentially commands them to be vegetarians. And not only mankind, but as mankind were exercising dominion and subduing the earth, they were instructed that everything themselves included with the breath of life were to be vegetarians. And we may wonder why this is. And I think the answer is very simply, as Pastor Quinn mentioned early, earlier, that before sin entered the world, there was to be no death. Before sin entered the world, no shedding of blood. That was something that was not supposed to happen. And this may raise the question in some of your curious minds, if you're tracking along with, well, what would happen? These animals are multiplying. They're filling the earth. What's going to happen? Wouldn't there come a time when killing animals in order to manage their population would become a necessity? The simple answer to that question is no. And the answer is because what we see at the end of day six was not supposed to be the perpetual state of affairs. The harmony at the end of day six wasn't as good as it could get. Day seven was coming. And we'll be looking more into that over the next few weeks, but in terms of this overpopulation and there not being death in the world, the answer isn't that animals would reach a maximum population and just stop multiplying. And the answer also isn't that mankind would begin, begin killing them in order to manage the wildlife as they subdue the earth. The answer is that once Adam and Eve passed their probation of filling the earth, of exercising dominion, not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, once they had finished this work that God gave to them, they, like God finished his work, would enter into seventh day eternal Sabbath rest. Eschatological life. But we know that this never happens because they failed in sin during their probationary period. And so now, on this side of the fall, the state of affairs of mankind and all animals being vegetarians has changed. It changed after the flood when God gives animals to mankind as another source of food. You can see that in Genesis 9.3 where it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you 
everything. And we know that though eating meat may remind us of the fall because it was not so before the fall, though this is true, we know that we are not required to be vegetarians in our day. We know that it is not sinful to eat meat, not only because of what we just read in Genesis 9, but we also have in the Scripture God commanding His people Israel to eat meat. We also see in the Scripture the perfect man, Jesus, eating meat during His lifetime, and we know He didn't sin. We also have Him commanding Peter, rise, kill, and eat in a vision after His resurrection and ascension. But the point in terms of our passage today is to notice that as with everything else in creation, God is the determiner. God is the decider in chief. He determines where men and animals should get their sources of food from. And I know that that's really basic. I know that's really fundamental. And so much so that it almost seems not worth spending this time on. But as we read a couple of weeks ago, we are instructed in the Bible that Scripture is even more basic, more fundamental to us than the daily bread that we ask for in the Lord's Prayer. God's words, beloved, are our very life. And we are to live on them, to live by every word of them, because what we ask for in the Lord's Prayer is the sustaining of our bodies through the provision that God gives to us, but we ask this not just for our body's sake or for our own personal comforts, but that God would sustain our bodies that we might serve Him in obedience to His Word as we seek to multiply and fill the earth with holy image bearers. Well, having explored these six days of creation in these last few weeks, let's turn now Briefly to our last point, very good. We can see clearly in verse 31 that the conclusion of God looking over all that he has made in these six days of creation is that it is simply very good. From the light and darkness of the first day to the sky of the second to the earth and the seas and vegetation of the third day to the sun, moon, and stars of day four, to the sea creatures and birds of day five, and finally to the animals and image bearers of day six. Completed creation. Everything in harmony. Everything in its place. Everything serving its purpose. God looks at all of it and declares it to be very good. Brothers and sisters, as we close our time together today and reflect on these days of creation, I hope that you will take time and consider that just as all things in creation are in harmony, here at the close of the sixth day, everything God has created is very good because it is serving the purpose for which God made it. That is why it is very good. As you consider these things in terms of creation here in the beginning, I hope that as followers of Christ, you will consider the fact that having been united to Christ by faith, having been given the righteousness and the glory that Adam fell short of in Genesis 3, having been made the bride of Christ, I pray that as Christ's 
our king's helpmate, that you will consider the fact that we too have all been given our places, we have all been given our purposes, we have all been given our work in our lives, in our homes, in our relationships, at our places of work, in the church. And let us learn that serving our purpose in our place by the strength that the Holy Spirit gives us is very good. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now as we consider these things from the sixth day of creation. Father, we thank you that you made everything very good. And we thank you that you have instructed us through your word. We ask now by the help of your Holy Spirit that as we reflect on it, that you would bring other parts of your word into our mind. This is why we hide it in our hearts, that you would use it and bring it to our minds that we might not sin against you. Father, that you would form and conform our thoughts about our places in this world, our functions and roles and jobs in this world, our labors, that you would conform our thoughts to what you have revealed in your holy scriptures. Help us now in these few moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.